You're listening to the Oxfam Podcast, the show where we share our learning and knowledge with the sector, so you can hear how we work, how we think, and why we do what we do. Remember, you can subscribe to us on all your usual podcast providers. Hello, and welcome to Oxfam In-Depth, the show where we share the latest thought, learning, and knowledge from Oxfam for the wider sector. I'm Emma, and I'm the Gender Advisor on the Sustainable Water Development Team, and today we've partnered with the Women's Economic Empowerment Knowledge Hub, an Oxfam community of practice of 600-plus practitioners worldwide. As we recently celebrated International Women's Day and are now celebrating World Water Day, in this episode we'll be speaking with two Oxfam colleagues on the intersection between women's lives, women's empowerment, and water. In particular, we'll be discussing a multi-country program known as Transboundary Rivers of South Asia, or TROSA. TROSA is a five-year program in Nepal, Bangladesh, Myanmar, and India. It aims to reduce poverty among vulnerable river basin communities through increased access to and control over riverine water resources on which their livelihoods depend. To achieve this, Oxfam and its partners advocate for more inclusive government policies at all levels of water resource management. They promote conflict-sensitive practices by the private sector to respect communities' access to water resources and aim to increase the influence of civil society organizations in transboundary water governance. Increasing women's representation and meaningful involvement at all levels of water governance is a cross-cutting objective of TROSA. To explore how Oxfam does this, we'll be speaking with two members of TROSA country teams. Nusat Niri works with Oxfam in Bangladesh. Hi, Nusat. Hi, Emma. And Suman Gupta works with Oxfam in Nepal. Hi, Emma. So, Nusaj, would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself and your work with Oxfam? First of all, a very warm greetings from Bangladesh. I'm Nusaj. Currently, I'm working as a project officer in a water governance project. It's called Transboundary Rivers of South Asia at Oxfam in Bangladesh. I mainly work for the rights of river-dependent communities, and I advocate for inclusive governance. By inclusion, I mean ensuring the rights of riverine communities and making sure their voices are heard in any water governance issues. Great. And Suman, could you uh, tell us a bit more about yourself and the work you do? Yes. Hello, uh, everyone. Um, I am Suman Gupta, and I'm working as project coordinator in TROSA project based in Nepal. It's very fulfilling to see how women and the communities in the river basin are getting their voice heard and how they are able to realize their rights and practice that. So that motivates me to go further in the project. Before we get started, I wonder if you could both tell us why you're passionate about this topic and why you find working on water governance and women's rights so interesting and what keeps you motivated to keep doing this work. Nusat, did you want to go first? I would like to say that it won't be much long that I have been advocating for river governance. Unlike long-established river activists, being grown up in an urban city like Dhaka, I had very limited connection with river. So late alone thinking about river governance, I had barely idea about the geography and character of rivers. However, I kept traveling as a part of my work and I kept exploring to, you know, riverine areas and meeting its people and listening to their stories brought me closer to these people, people of rivers. 
the more I grew closer to them, the more, you know, injustice I could sense towards them. Despite having the greatest stake on rivers, this group of people are excluded in taking the decisions that is affecting directly to their life. So they are not consulted in any river-related decision-making process, which eventually makes them more marginalized. And how did you find that women were particularly affected by the injustices that you saw? The stories of women in river is a bit more challenging because women have, you know, greatest stake on rivers. They live nearby the river. All the issues are rivers are directly affected. However, despite that, those women and rivers are not acknowledged. They are not even aware about their rights or the roles they are playing. They are contributing to the river governance. And all this I could find through my travel, through my work in those river and places where I have to talk with women, where I have to do some, you know, capacity building sessions with women so that they can talk about any river governance related issues that affect directly to their lives. And Suman, can I ask you what makes you motivated to work on water governance, in particular water governance relating to women's rights and, and women's empowerment? I agree with Nusrat when she says that the, the river and communities are marginalized and they are the ones who are economically and socially excluded most of the time. And also, you know, transboundary river communities and their decisions are very political in nature and less women are involved or most negligible. And most of the decisions that are made related to transboundaries are made by the central governments of either of the countries. There are no say of the communities when there are decisions made regarding those rivers or the community land adjoining the border. And another thing is more women are excluded as there are limited women in decision-making positions already. That triggers me most of the time and it is very fulfilling experience when you see the women coming up and demanding their rights, making their needs heard and is very motivating for me. So I'd like to know, in the context you both work in, how do you see women's lives as being linked to water governance? And what are the consequences that you see of them being excluded from water governance? The consequences of women not linked with the water governance here in Nepal is they are deprived from the access and control of the water and the other riverine resources. And another thing that I want to add here is the loss of life due to flash flood in the absence or lack of early warning system. There is two kind of floods, like uh, one is natural during the rainy season and another one is the building of dams. When, the, when they don't need water, they release it without information and the people who are working in the riverbanks, they have to lose their lives, their livestock, other resources that they have collected based on the water 
it's interesting that you link issues of water governance and, and women's exclusion from water governance to broader issues, including, as you just said, emergency preparedness in case of floods, natural and, and, and man-created through the construction of dams. So maybe shifting now to Nuzat, could, could you tell us a bit more how, how you see women's lives as linked to water governance and, and the consequences in Bangladesh of women's exclusion from water governance? In our country, since we work on four issues, basically, that are river fisheries, sand mining, river erosion, and inclusive trade through waterways. In all the sectors, I can see this one common picture that a very, very poor participation of women and the lack of acknowledgement of women's contribution in these sectors. Today's discussion, actually, I would like to focus on the role of women in fisheries, since it is not getting that much attention. Interesting. So again, we're seeing how women's exclusion from water governance actually has broader implications for their livelihoods. And as you raise the issue of fisheries, that's um, I think that's something that one normally doesn't consider when thinking about water governance. And in fact, Water governance has much broader implications on women's livelihoods, which makes it even more important to to include women in these processes. Actually, when I talk about women in fisheries, mostly people remain skeptical. Often people question me, how a sector like fisheries can be a place for women? In our context, women have a larger contribution to the value chain of fisheries, which are barely recognized. For instance, when their husbands or their fathers or their male counterparts are far away for fishing, it is them who have to, you know, maintain their family. So it becomes challenging for them when their sole earning member is away from their home. Uh, This is one of the challenges they have to face in order to lessen their workload or lessen their stress due to this issue, we have to create some sort of enabling environment so that they can maintain their family through some earning. I'd also like to, you know, talk about the impact on women of some fishing ban restrictions that is imposed in our country. The fishing ban in our country is very successful in terms of our national fish conservation, which we call HILSA, and it has managed to revive the production of our national delicacy. However, during that period of time when fishermen cannot go and catch fishings, they are entitled to receive compensation packages of 30 to 40 kgs of rice per month per family. But it becomes very minimal for them to sustain their living. And my number is, you know, it's very approximate. So it's very interesting to hear about the fishing ban in Bangladesh and especially the tension between this conversation and the compensation for livelihood loss and how women are specifically excluded from from this compensation. The way the compensation packages are designed in our country, women's needs and women's opinions are rarely considered. As a result of this ban, uh, often fisher folks are involved in fishing illegally. They often are sent to jail as punishment. And during that time, it is those mothers 
or wives or daughters of those fisher folks family who have to face the legal consequences in terms of managing money to for getting them out and this is not the only case of burden of women in fisheries because of these legal issues males in their home remain annoyed frustrated and women often become victim of domestic violence and they remain trapped in this cycle of exclusion in the governance system overall considering all these factors the role of women needs to be addressed when thinking about any management policies taken in our country Thank you Nusat for for sharing that example of fisher folk in Bangladesh. It's really powerful to hear about the links of severe income loss, household stress and how that can lead to even violence against women. And I think it again reiterates the importance of women's voices in water governance which could be a key factor in mitigating other risks to women. So I'd like to talk more about what Oxfam is doing to engage women in water governance and and what kind of efforts specifically have your country programs undertaken to increase women's meaningful representation in water governance. Suman, would you like to tell us a bit about the work you're doing in Nepal? Yes, Emma, we are working with women empowerment centers and we have 29 women empowerment centers in four districts where there are 774 women and 12 male members in the women empowerment centers. So, what we do here is we train them how to lead the group, how to put forward their issues and what are the processes that they have to follow to approach the government and make their need heard in in the process and another thing is what well, we are focusing on citizen science here what we do is the women are trained to test water quality in their transboundary river this is for evidence based water cooperation this helps the women to lobby and advocate for the water quality uh, management of the solid waste and through this they also give the government evidence that they have limited drinking water so it's really interesting to hear you're providing women technical training under the citizen science approach uh, including training them on how to test water quality we know that increasing women's training in in technical water management can also positively increase their influence and, and ability to advocate for broader issues of of water governance so it's really interesting to hear you've incorporated that in your in your program in Nepal so now i'd like to shift maybe to bangladesh nuzat can you tell us a bit about what oxfam is doing to increase women's representation and influence at various levels of water governance overall to engage with river and communities we do these river meetings in our country rivers are called by you know nodi so we call it locally as nodi boitoks so these are the river meetings we do this is a very simple process we go to riverine communities identify the most marginalized people of needs in water governance issues and talk to them this can be a very small group discussion they gather among themselves and talk about you know any water governance issues they are facing in their recent times they you know come up with some action plan among themselves so that they can come up with their solutions to tackle their water governance issues and we facilitate the discussion 
we connect them with the duty bearers of our country so that they can raise their issue and engage in dialogue with you know those duty bearers of water governance issues and um, make sure that communities voices are heard in water governance issues so it's interesting you're saying that oxfam is essentially creating or trying to create linkages between local community level governance organizations to higher levels of water governance at the national level. Yeah, that's completely right Emma and that we also uh, arrange or facilitate dialogues between different government bodies related to water governance try to gather all the you know river and community so that they can put their voices forward to them. sometimes they talk about any policies sometimes they talk about any uh, local issues or anything they uh, want to address in their community related to their rivers so i know that uh, a challenge for oxfam in in many of the contexts we work in is encouraging and finding women really to engage in water governance structures and often even if women are present in in water governance meetings we're not always sure that they feel comfortable raising their voices raising issues or challenging decisions that are taken so i wonder if both of you could tell us a bit more about the, the challenges you've experienced in engaging women meaningfully in in water governance meetings both in the women empowerment centers and in the river meetings you both have mentioned suman did you want to go first as you know we already mentioned that uh, we are working with the most marginalized communities who live in the river banks they have limited resources for their livelihood and they don't have much say to the decision making process the major challenges that we are facing in trosa project we don't have you know sufficient policies to ensure the livelihood of the riverine community and utilization of the river resources another thing is they are already marginalized and poor and we are also motivating them to come forward sit in a meeting discuss among themselves uh, regarding the you know community issues and coming up with their priority needs so sometimes this is a bit challenging for us to make them participate when they spend time in the meeting they are losing hours of work where they are being deprived of getting money or other livelihood options Thank you for sharing on the challenges in Nepal and I wonder Nuzat have you faced similar challenges in Bangladesh and, and how has Oxfam sought to overcome these You know uh, in the context of our country it is not something very common for the women to you know come out of their comfort zone and talk about their rights on rivers since they are hardly recognized so when I try to you know gather women and talk with them don't feel comfortable or they don't share their space with me and for that you know we have to build rapport with them but still we are trying to get their participation for instance in one places i have once been to i want i tried to sit with some women it gradually they shared that they face severe level of river erosion and due to erosion their houses sometimes are destroyed for five to six times in their lifetime in that time you know their hygiene issues their safety issues their security issues in that struggles 
they have adapted to this adverse situation. So these women are very brave, I might say, even though they don't acknowledge their skills, they don't acknowledge their, you know, inner strength, but the role they are playing is very much significant to the water governance sector. And uh, in some places, women leadership is very, you know, not that much visible. I would like to highlight one example of one woman with whom we have been working for a long time. She has been able to take decisions on their water governance related issues. And she has managed to sit together with a group of women and also with men in her community areas. And she has taken the lead to come up with a solution that can save them from erosion. They have uh, also, you know, managed resources so that they can build some sort of community-led structures that can save them from erosion. And this woman has later traveled all the way to, you know, urban areas and engage in dialogue with academicians and also government authorities to uh, discuss about her journey when coming up with such community-led solutions to tackle erosion. So this kind of, you know, contrasting scenarios we face, but this is not an easy journey for a woman to make because often we forget, are these meetings women-friendly? Uh, it's better to, you know, ensure participation of women, but when, uh, when for, you know, participating in meeting, are we ensuring that safe space? For instance, are we ensuring chaperones for their child? Because we face that a lot, that whenever we call them for a meeting, to talk with, you know, some government authorities. It's not easy for them to come out of that social environment they live in, come, you know, leave their children or leave their family because they have to face social stigma if they come out of their house. But despite that, they're doing that. So I can say that these women are really uh, commendable amid their struggles they face in their home. Then they we can ensure more women's participation, we can get more women's voice to tackle these issues. Thank you, Nusat, for, for raising uh, those interesting points. I think it's really important that we consider uh, when we do ask or encourage women to engage in, in water governance issues, we need to ensure that the surrounding support systems uh, enable women's participation. We know that women are responsible for their for the vast majority of their households unpaid care duties. If we are asking them to engage on water governance, we need to make sure that we're not adding to their daily workload and that, as you mentioned, uh, there are spaces that accommodate childcare or, in general, spaces that make women feel safe and able to participate in water governance. So I'd like to shift now to speak a bit more about water governance policies at, at the national level. We know that only about 16% of national water plans uh, globally mention women as key stakeholders or primary participants in climate adaptation. And a recent report from the Equality Fund shows that bilateral aid for the climate crisis barely reaches women or southern civil society organizations despite stating and acknowledging that women are key targets um, of these aid packages. So we've seen that despite, therefore, the theoretical recognition that women are critical to water management, 
this hasn't translated to significant policy change or action. So I'm curious from your perspectives, what do you think policymakers need to act on now in order to shift these priorities and make women and water governance a more uh, explicit focus of climate adaptation and climate resilience? When we talk about women's participation, um, there are many initiations that has started from the government and INGOs, NGOs, yes, uh, but they are not enough, not sufficient because uh, they are planned above and then implemented in the root level. Whereas it should be like they should plan from bottom to top so that they could understand and uh, strategically plan to in- include women in a more meaningful way where they are, their needs are addressed. So what we are doing uh, in TRASA project here is we are engaging the social mobilizers who who are the local young women and uh, through this we are creating, we are developing youth uh, for future water transboundary governance leaders where they can further coordinate, involve the government and other private sectors for water governance and improvement of the livelihood of the community. We also need to promote women leaders to come forward in decision-making positions to advocate for the issues, identify them and address them at the local level where the communities, um, they know the scenario they know the context of the you know geographical or social context so they best know their solutions we should act as the facilitators not you know imposing our plans and our activities on them rather we should identify how they want to do it and then facilitate the process i I think that's a great point suman about Oxfam's role uh, being that of identifying existing movements and women leaders and seeing how they best want to address these issues rather than us introducing or imposing our own ideas and and framework. So thank you for sharing. And Nuzat, would you like to tell us what you feel policymakers at the international level should focus on in order to increase women's participation and influence over water governance as it relates to climate adaptation and climate resilience? I completely agree with Sumanji. I'd like to add that from national to local to international, there is a connection of women. We need to acknowledge the role of women in water governance sector, and we can do that through creating some negotiating capital for them so that women can advocate for their rights in this sector and how we can, you know, create agency among them so that they can negotiate with the duty bearers or the policy makers so that their roles are acknowledged in the policy making, be it at national level, be it at international level. I think we can facilitate capacity building sessions as a part of 
Trosta from Oxfam in Bangladesh, we arranged river camps. We try to facilitate different types of capacity building sessions with young women leaders and also established women leaders so that we can create a connection between them. And it's very necessary because when these young leaders work with those established leaders, there's some source of connection and networking grows among them, which is very important because it eventually creates a platform of strong women leaders who can advocate for their rights. I also wanted to add through TROSA project, we are also addressing sustainable development goals 6.5, that is access to clean water, and 5.6.2, and that is um, transboundary water cooperation. Yeah, I think it's always very important to link the work we're doing to broader sustainable development goals. And I think there's an increasing recognition that SDG 6 on access to clean water and sanitation, including water governance, and SDG 5 on gender equality are deeply interdependent and linked. So I think the TROSA program is really a prime example of how engaging women meaningfully in water governance can uh, improve broader outcomes related to water security and, and water access. So thank you, Suman and Nusat, for a really interesting conversation. It was great to hear more about your work and, and your country programs under TROSA. I'm curious for both of you, what would you want the key takeaways from this discussion to be for our listeners? I think the key messages I want the greater audiences to listen is that, you know, to acknowledge the women in water governance sectors and give them a scope so that their voices are heard in the decision-making process. I would also like to, you know, encourage some young women leaders who can take up water governance challenges since this sector is still dominated by, by male. So I guess I would like to encourage some young students or young professionals like me to take up this water governance sector as area of work to advocate for those women. That's a great point, and I think, as you said, it's really important that we adopt an intersectional approach to these issues mm. and really encourage mm. uh, young women to engage on these issues because, as you said, they're really the, the future of, of water governance. So thank you again. And Suman? Yeah, as I said earlier, the local people, the community who are living in the river basin are the main focus point and they know their need best. So during the planning, we need to discuss and finalize our projects as per their need, not impose our activities or our project on them. As this is transboundary river project, we also need to understand and address the need of the communities living along the border in either side of the country through a platform like Nusa said, Nodi Boitok. And similarly, we have uh, Mahakali Sambad. So mm. we also need to create such platforms where people can come forward from either side of the border and discuss their needs and put that needs to their respective governments either at the local level or national level. 
in response to your sort of final takeaway point, I think, as you said, we need to remember that the communities we work with really know these issues best. So our value add as Oxfam is to listen to these voices and, and enhance them where we can. But I think, yeah, listening and really trusting that communities know what is best for them is key going forward. So thank you for, for raising that point. So Nuzat and Suman, thank you again uh, so much for speaking with us today. It's been it's been great to hear more about your work and your experience, and I hope this has been a interesting discussion for you both. Surely it was. Uh, thank you so much too, you know, for giving us a scope to represent those women in water governments. And thanks all. It was very fascinating to engage in conversation with you all. Thank you again. Emma, Nusrat, I'm really grateful for giving this opportunity to talk and to know more about uh, what is going on in um, Bangladesh as well. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Oxfam In-Depth podcast. If you'd like to find out more about TROSA, Oxfam's work on gender and water development, or the Women's Economic Empowerment Knowledge Hub, you can find the links and further information in the episode description. And if you'd like to hear more from the Oxfam In-Depth podcast, you can subscribe to this show on all major podcast providers. Thanks again for listening.